You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Good morning, WA. This is the World Football Programme. My name is Sean Kelly. I'll be with you for the next two hours. Thank you to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful show. Great to see Frank back in the studio and in fine fettle. Um, In two hours, Lenny will be in with the jazz show. And in between then and now, we will be talking about football wide and worldwide. Joining me in the studio is the man behind Next Goal Wins podcast, Jim Webb. Jim, good morning. Morning, Sean. How are you doing? Good, mate. Um, Looking forward to to spending the morning with you. Did I notice your T-shirt? Yeah, my my, my Marmite T-shirt. Your Millwall Marmite sandwich. Now, the thing is that there's a a great Dockers Derby in England and a great tradition of history between um, two clubs, Millwall and West Ham, and absolute hatred. I don't know how this is going to work for the next two hours (laughs) because I'm I'm a hammer. Well, it's it's funny, actually, because where I come from, I'm more of a... No, I'm not going to apologise, but... No. Crystal Palace, the wrong Crystal Palace burnt down all them years ago, as far as I'm concerned. West Ham are just a minor club in the other side of the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they may well be after this season because your boys are going very, very well and ours are doing... As they're doing very, very badly. So um, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, we're. Um, we could be swapping each other. We'd we could do. Oh, God. Next year for us. And yeah, no, I, I could. Enjoy the championship. Yeah, I think the Toms, <laughs> the Thames the ten, the may go claret and blue to people that jump off the, the river. Good grief. That couldn't happen, surely. All right, so in today's show, we have Elise DeVideo, who is the Perth Glory Events Manager. She is joining us to talk about the Pride Round. Um, Go to that in in further detail. Then we are followed by Andreas Oliveira, who is the head coach at Inglewood United, who already sealed this space in the semis, but they're 
playing tonight. Oh no, sorry, tomorrow night in um, Inglewood. Uh, John Baird, who is the Mandra City coach and a good friend of Jim's, he's going to be talking about his side's stellar start to the um, night series and the the uh, don't we call it the the local distance derby where. Rockingham play Mandra up in, open, in Wanneroo. The non-local yeah. derby, I think it is. Absolutely. And um, then we'll close the show out with Vince Matassa, who is the former Glory goalkeeper, but he's now very much involved in the WA Football Hall of Fame, who opened their museum recently. So we'll talk to uh, Vince about that and what's going on in that particular sphere. Um, we're also... Going to ramble on about other things. News. Um, the Matildas have sealed the Cup of Nations and um, they, uh, they've done a really good job um, sealing that up. So I think that's... Good preparation for the, uh, the World Cup, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. No, wonderful preparation for the World Cup. They look really, really good and they're... Um, yeah, look, it's looking great for the World Cup. Got a... a a game against the Lionesses in London lined up. That looks like a, it's going to be an absolute it's belter. Sold out. It's already sold out. Sold out within hours of it being announced, which is great. Um, on a bad news side, or look, I suppose to celebrate a life, really. Um, to me, I, when I grew up listening to this man, John Motson, mm. passed away recently. Um, you know, very much like Simon Hill is to Australia, John Motson was to England. So, you know... Um, he was the voice of our childhood, really, wasn't Absolutely, he, he was, yeah. And, yeah. and I actually read this morning that the night before he died, he was in a pub watching the football on the telly as one of the locals as well. Absolutely. So. No, no, look, he's, he's a football man through and through. So, you know, we um, celebrate the life and, and you know, mourn his passing. Um, now, the big news locally during the week has been Fightgate. Um, I don't know about you, Jim, but I've played um, along the way myself. We've had a couple of scrimmage games that between players have always ended up badly. I can't remember one where it's gone gone awry with a coach and maybe we'll talk to John about it because John being a player coach he's actually involved in those playing drills um, it seems like the, the glory have taken the perspective uh, take it on the chin and move on literally yeah <laughs> <laughs> pun intended <laughs> you'll find I'm quite punny um, the it's all you know there's nothing to see I could just see um, the policeman out of South Park going move along nothing to see you just yeah yeah, big mound under the carpet. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but look, it's it's been some excitement. But look, the the glory have been showing some fight lately. It's what we need when we're out in Brisbane this evening. I just hope that it doesn't mean that people like Geo and other good young players have been overlooked or it's causing an issue. They really literally need to get over it. I think if the players and the coaches are getting fired up in training, that's that's never a bad sign. No, but the same as you said, these things never end well, do they? And more, I think more will come out in the wash over the next week or so. And uh, yeah, certainly be interesting to see what happens uh, with either player or coach or both, really. Yeah, look, I think it's going it's going to come out, uh, and I think at the end of the season we're going to have uh, mutual terminations of contracts, whatever. It's, it's always the same, and I don't like it. Mutual termination is always a bit of a funny one, isn't it? That's a, we don't like you, you don't like us, so let's go away. <laughs> but it's also facilitated by the um, the issues that we have with the transfer system, and that's always been a bugbear of mine, that across Australia we don't have 
a, um, a transfer system and it should go all the way through to NPL clubs and, and local clubs. I mean, you, you take um, manager who got a couple of good players, Jerry O'Brien being one of them, and Hamish Van Deken. If they were to be courted by the Glory or another A-League club, they can just go and you get nothing for them. They should You should be able to uh, monetize the investment you've had in those players and, you know, it goes... It feeds upwards. You know, you may only get you know ten grand or whatever, but ten grand to a stately club is quite a significant chunk of money. Then, if that player goes on, goes to Europe um, or to another A League club for fifty thousand dollars, that's then an investment back to the club, and that's as you know full well how the European market works, mm. Mm. especially with the with the uh, schoolboys in in England. And if a top club picks them up, there's no transfer fee, but there's like a tribunal to settle compensation claims. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those claims also have additional clauses of sell-ons yeah. and things like that. So. Absolutely. I think all of those things need to be there. I know um, from personal involvement in some of the boys that have gone overseas, there's been um, clubs over there that have asked them to sign off that waiver so there is no hmm. money coming back to the grassroots club. You know, that these... I think Simon Hill was quite right when he said, you know, he isn't the game, the the clubs aren't the game, the people are the game. And if we're going to kill it at grassroots level, then, you know, we've got no chance. I think it's being killed at grassroots level unless things change dramatically over there. And there won't be a t- there'll soon be a time in 9, 10, 11-year-olds that have got a bit of talent. They're agents. Agents will start coming on the scene. And, and they already are. I mean, yeah. uh, look, I know you don't want to talk about West Ham, but we lost a very good player recently to Newcastle because his agent had got him a good deal. Um, and there is no loyalty in football now. And Millwall have lost plenty of good players <laughs> along the way, by the way, um, on the same thing. And... The agents do it. I think if if you watched Sunderland Till I Die, they had a, a good young striker who was up and coming. They were looking a buyer striker for more than he was he was worth, and they couldn't hang on to the the young striker because the agent had got him a move to France on big money, and he was getting payback off the deal and and re-signing a contract just wasn't as lucrative. And and, and youngsters as well. Parents are being bought houses, yeah. cars. I, I actually know of a of a parent that got given a job at the club where his son went and signed for. <laughs> where does it end? That's how yeah, it all goes away to pair, particularly if you know, you got the one of the players and his wife gets a business and yeah, no, look, let's not go back there. Um, all right, so we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after this with at least a video from Perth Glory talking about the Pride Round. Oh, don't relax, I want Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers, just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, 
I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian Local Football News. listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. She's got such a great voice. And <laughs> someone else who has a very good voice, because uh, I've heard her yelling out in the park in a, in a few occasions, is our next guest, Elisa Davidio. Elisa, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Many happy returns for yesterday. Oh, thank you. It's just another day, isn't it? Um, I'm quite lucky that the greys haven't come out yet. Oh, look, I I got to that point where I don't call you grey. It's now executive blonde. (laughs) That's a better way of looking at it. I I have no other option. I found a black hair the other day and thought, where'd that come from? Um, (laughs) Obviously, uh, still with the glory, you you were a great player for the the Glory W side and you're you're now the the club's events manager and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, one event that I think has had a great impact on yourself and the club is the Pride Round for the uh, both A-League, well, all the A-League, whether that's men or women. Um, it's great to be inclusive in that. Um, and I think that the FA have done a wonderful job. It's been about 18 months in the planning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's such a great um, step forward, I think, for for the sport in general, um, particularly for, for Perth Glory Football Club. Um, I think now it's, it's showcasing what, you know, value and purpose we really want to bring to the club, and, and that's really accepting, um, you know, the, the wider community and, and anyone that wants to be involved in the sport and, and bringing that sense of welcoming and, and belonging to, to being part of such a, a great cause and a great sport. And, um you know, it doesn't matter who you are and, and, and your background or your culture. It, it's just about everyone feeling safe and welcome to be part of something great. I think it goes a little bit bigger than that. I think, you know, personally, I, I'm not woke. Um, and I'm certainly of a, a vintage that uh, grew up in a time where none of this actually existed. So for me, um, I see it more as, as about inclusiv- inclusivity. But, you know, the there's a lot of people out there, and particularly in, in male sports, where the, the masculine toxicity doesn't allow men to express their sexuality properly. And, and I think for most people, um, coming out to your parents and coming out in public is a very painful process, and it shouldn't be. Um, and I think this is this is what pride does do: is it, it normalises what is a normal process. Um, albeit that it's been caught up in some awful history and, and a lack of recognition. Yeah, exactly right. And, and look, it's an education process as well because, um, as you said, you know, there, there's still um, some families that are quite traditional and, and, and obviously society is changing very quickly. So it's adapting to, to what's now going to be the norm or what is the norm. Um, and I think it's it's... It's something to acknowledge, right? Like that, not everyone has the privilege to actually feel so comfortable in their own skin, and and having these these pride weeks and pride rounds is is even more so important in acknowledging and in, in acknowledging them and and the incredible incredible powerful message that it that it does send across. So, Absolutely. you know, we're we're really, happy, we're really happy that that we're able to to host this round and 
you know, I'm really grateful for the club supporting it and, and we really hope that, you know, everyone sees what, what this day is about, you know, and it's it's not about, you know, chucking on the rainbow colours and, you know, you don't want to wear them, you don't wear them, you know, it's not about shoving it down people's throat. Um, it's more just the understanding of, of what we're trying to achieve yeah. and, and the landscape and, and it's not just about women's sport, it's about the sport in general and, and that education process. I think it's about humanity in, in, in general, not just the sport. I mean, the, the thing is, you, you ask, why do we need it? You know, and you, you think, well, why do we? I look at someone like Sam Kerr, who is very, very good at her job. Um, I work with people that are diverse, and I've got a very good workplace that supports diversity. And the only thing that I worry about, is this person any good at what they do? And everything else does not matter to me. But you see the pride round go up on on the internet and then immediately you've you've got the the homophobic commentary you've got the dismissive commentary and i think when you look at everyday language there has been a quite a, a casual dis- homophobic um discrimination going on in the background and some of the stuff we've used uh, as um insults are actually hurtful to other people they are yeah, correct. And, and and I don't think people realise how hurtful um, they can be. You know, no one no one knows what, what people are battling and, and why they're battling certain things. And, um, you know, it's it's about changing that and, and trying to change that, educating people. You know, we're, everyone's going to have their opinions and, and everyone's going to believe in what they believe in, and that's totally fine. But it's, it's about still being kind and respecting people's, um, you know, who they are and, yeah. and the person that they are. That, that's what it's got to do with, you know uh, what I mean? So... Um, yeah, yeah, we're really hoping that, that this round brings that. We're hoping that people get educated. Absolutely. And look, to, to quote a couple of very famous comedians, um, you know, if you're offended, then, you know, that's okay, but it doesn't mean you're right. Um, and we've got, to, we've got to just, in some way, get over those insults and barbs. And it's not, this is not a fight. This is about encouraging people to grow and feeling comfortable within their own skin and the life choices, well, not the choices they make, but the choices they make. Um, and that's, you know, for all of us. Um, I thought the FA did a wonderful job. 18 months. Now, there was some training for players and administrators within that? Yes, yes. So we actually had um, some education sessions for both uh, men and women's team as well as staff. Um, there was a number of uh, meetings and, and, you know, trying to figure out... Um, you know, it, it's not about changing people's... It, it's just about, you know, the process and the understanding as to why we're doing, you know, these type of initiatives and the acknowledgements that, that we're doing. So um, that was a long process and, you know, the, the men and the women's team were, were fantastic. You know, they, they took it all on board. Um, the personal staff were great. Um, they've shown full support. So, yeah, look, you know, we, we do have the, the 10% of, of people on, on social media that, that still want to kind of put their opinions in but as I said earlier you know we want we want to make change and, and we're trying to um you know make change throughout the sport and, and and this is the first step in doing that so we're really hoping that we do get that full support today. Yeah look I think the unlike some other codes have had issues um you mentioned a few things that the the captain's can choose to wear the rainbow captain's armband if they wish. Um, it's not been imposed or forced upon people, and I, I'd like to think that most people will be wearing them. Um, there's only two clubs who are going to wear dedicated pride, uh, pride jerseys, and that's Melbourne Victory and Adelaide, um, both the men and women's teams, obviously. Um, and they'll have rainbow-coloured numbers on their backs. What's happening at the Glory 
Yeah, so both our men's and women's, uh, so Tash Rigby um, and the men's captain will, will wear the uh, pride armband uh, for the games. Um, we have the progression flag, um, the colours for our corner flags, um, yep. which will be showcased today. The team will be wearing, they've got rainbow, their rainbow numbers and names uh, on their strip. Um, we will have signs around the place um, to showcase the day. We'll have the flag up on the flagpole. We'll have a flag walking out with the team uh, with our Perth Glory flag. So there's a lot happening. Um, we've posted some things around the place as well just to kind of raise that awareness and, you know, if there's any discrimination, um, you know, who people can go to and, and, and a number to call. Um, we'll have a lot of messaging throughout our game. Yep. Um, and we'll also have some songs that are, are dedicated to to obviously Pride Round. So, you know, for us today, it's really <clears throat> raising that awareness um, and just celebrating the round alone. Do you know what I mean? We just want people to have fun today. We want to yeah. acknowledge why we're doing it. Um, and that's what it's about. It's, it's still a game of football. Um, we're still there to get the three points. Um, we're just really acknowledging why we're doing this. Absolutely, and and tied up with Pride Week in general. Um, obviously, we've got the the Pride Festival in in Sydney. Um, so there's lots of things happening nationally, which you know helps and and guides everybody with with what we're doing. Um, obviously, we we mentioned Tash already. Um, fantastic news during the week that uh, Tash and Angelique Stanner are now engaged. Um, very happy for both of them. Um, know both of them, and they're both wonderful people. They are. It's fantastic to see. And, and even the acknowledgements that they received was, was amazing. And, um, you know, they're both wonderful people. They, they play a sport. They both play sport that, that kids. And, and they're, they're massive role models um, for everyone. And, you know, the club's really happy for them both. So it's great to see Tash in the position that she's in. Yeah. Now, um, this is another game at Macedonia Park. You, obviously, as the events manager, will be heavily involved in preparation for it. Um, what's your thoughts about the, the experience at Macedonia Park for both the, the men and the women? Yeah, look, it's, um, you know, we get asked this question all the time, you know, what do you prefer, HBF Park or, or Macedonia Park? And to be honest, you know, a lot, a lot of work was, was put into to where we're at, at, at Macedonia Park. And, and um, in an incredibly it, short time frame. Exactly, yeah. And, and to see it come to life has been absolutely amazing. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't think it would look the way it did, but credit to, to Macedonia, Macedonia Park as well. Their staff have been absolutely fantastic. Um, Venues West um, obviously contributed quite a bit. Um, it's been great, you know, it's got that community feel, it's intimate, um, you know, for the fans, they're very close to, to the action. Um, I suppose it depends on how you look at it, right? You know, you can look at it as a coach, as a player, um, as a staff member, as a fan, and, and everyone's got all their different opinions. Um, I think it would be fantastic to go back to HBF Park, um, to, to have our home home back, um, to have more fan, fans being able to attend the game, because I think that that's what we're missing at the moment, is just that extra support. Um, but in saying that, you know, having pretty much every game being sold out at Macedonia Park has been so amazing to see. Yes. Um, and I think I go back, well, to when the glory started. And it, 
the Macedonia experience brings me back all the way to, to the days with Steve Armstrong belting away in the background, the kids on the fence behind the goal. Um, and, you know, that, that feel is back there. I know from another perspective, though, from the corporate side of it with the, the lack of corporate boxes and, you know, those things that fund the club, really, it's lacking. And I imagine the changing facilities are nowhere near what they were at, uh, at HBF. So I think... Um, you know, there's good and bad for the, for the spectator experience. There is nothing better. You know, I, I was sat there probably three three rows or two rows behind Tony Sage, and just watching the the byplay between Neil Kilkenny and him. Um, you know, you get that close to it. It it really is good. You can yeah, you can reach out and touch the players literally. So I think from a, a fan's perspective, really great. From the atmosphere, it's been good. Um, but yeah, HBF is home. Exactly, yeah, and and look, we, you know, the where we have been struggling with is obviously that corporate element um, and that support. So, you know, we, we haven't been able to to give the corporates the facilities that that they're probably used to. Um, you know, we've done the best that we can in terms of the chairman's function, um, but having that element back would be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, that value that they receive. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to going back to HF Park. Um, the the change rooms are absolutely magnificent. Um, and, you know, the, the experience that we hope to add to our game and provide is something that I'm really looking forward to, to working on and working with to just add that little bit of, um, I think, entertainment back at HBF Park. So, yeah, watch this space, I can say. <laughs> at least it's Jim here. Just, uh, you know, with the glory, the, you know, you're pretty much the form team at the moment with the three consecutive wins. Is, is this the perfect time to get that run going towards the end of the season and make that charge for the playoff places? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's so close. You can win, you know, kind of one or two games and you're back in it, you know. So um, I think both teams, you know, they're at, they're at the same level. They're at the same place. Um, they just need to, you know, keep winning, get those extra few games under their belt and, you know, it's top four. So... That's exactly what what they're heading towards, and that's that's what the club's heading towards as well. And, and with the two games in hand over the victory, and you win those two, you're only a point behind. It's uh, it's certainly gearing up for a an exciting end of the season, really. It is, yeah. You know, we for you know we face so many challenges this season. You know, especially because of the venue, and um, I really think you know the the home venue for both teams has really um, helped put us in that good position and. And even the form that both teams are in, you know, they're facing their own challenges with, um, you know, players and, and injuries, etc. And, um, you know, obviously you probably saw the, the headlines yesterday with Ruben as well. But, you know, we, we put everything aside and, and we keep pushing forward as a club. And um, I think that's really shown this year that we've stuck together and, and we're moving forward. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's there's a lot to be said about the, the passion that was shown during the week. And I think, you know... Um, I like it that you've got people that are prepared to to get upset about a training game. I'm, I'm just disappointed it leaked out to the to the media. So you know, look, it, I've, I've been in a few clubs and I've I've seen people have red hot goes at times. But um, yeah, look, it's, it is part of the game. From a, a an elite athlete's point of view, and you you were in your your prime an elite athlete. What do you think of the, uh, the Matildas winning the Cup of Nations? Yeah, look, it's put it's put them in a good position, hasn't it? Um, I mean, for them, you know, they're they're finding their form and and you know 
players coming in and out and, and playing elsewhere. So, you know, I think this is this has put them in a good position in in preparation for the World Cup. And you know, I think to be honest, like that they, they were on fire. You know, players stepped up, players performed very very well, and it's good to see that it's now spreading throughout throughout the team and not just relying on one or two players like Sam Kerr. You know. Um, so they're really finding their form, and I'm really excited to see, um, you know, what what they're going to do in the lead up to the World Cup. So yeah, yeah, it, it's exciting times. Very interesting because Gustavin's had his detractors, but um, apparently one of the, the pep talks that Sam gave at halftime in the Spain game was, "Look, I'm just Sam." I am no one special. We are all here because we deserve to be here. And really just kind of flatten the playing field because I think, you know, some of those young girls coming into the squad see Sam as being, you know, basically the the female Messi or Ronaldo. And um, for her to do that, very humbling, but also says a lot about the character that Sam is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I played with Sam for for a number of years. And, you know, I, I think for her, it's, She's really, you know, she didn't want to follow, I suppose, in the footsteps of, of her brother and her taking her brother's name. She really wanted to make Sam Kerr her own person, and, and she is that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and for Sam, she's there to do one thing, and, and that's play football and play every game to the best way that she can. Um, and, you know, it is it is intimidating for, for us think, players to, well, one, play against Sam Kerr, but two, probably play with her because, you know, there's an expectation that, you know, she's she's you know, close to one of the best players in the world um, and people need to match that, right? But at the end of the day, you know, she's a team player, she's a leader um, and she wants everyone else to do to do well as well. Um, and, and I think she's, she, that being that role model that she is, um, she brings character, um, she's funny um, and, and she does have that, she likes to have that environment where people can feel comfortable being around her so yeah. um yeah I, I can see i can really see why you know <clears throat> young players may feel that intimidation you know you can see that you know she's one of the best players in the world so you, so you would feel that at first but yeah. you know sam, sam, sam's a great great team player and, and she's someone that that you want to have on your team so and she has achieved it because her brother is now known as sam's little brother but you know that's <laughs> how it goes um all right at least look Great um, to talk to you today and about the, the Pride Round. And I hope across the legs it goes off really well. I think it's, um, you know, as we said, we, it's something we need to be doing every day, every day, not just this weekend. But um, good luck. Good luck. And the, obviously the, girl, the girls are out this afternoon. What time do we kick off at HBF? Uh, not HBF, at Macedonia Park. Four o'clock kickoff. Three o'clock gates open. So four o'clock kickoff against Brisbane Raw. Um, three o'clock gates open, and yeah, we're very excited. And, and there's a there's a prize for the the best dress. Matt Stacey's not included in that. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to try and get that shirt for sure. But yes, um, <laughs> best dress coming coming. You know, all your favourite colours. Best dress. It's a celebration it, before so. and after the it game. Is. It's a celebration. Thank you very much for your time, Elise. Great talking to you. Thank you for having me, guys. Have a great day. You too. See ya. See you later, babe. All right, at least a video from Perth Glory, um, events manager. Lots going on in her world with the transition from um, Macedonia Park to HBF, but um, I think she's up to it. I'm quite looking forward to them going back to HBF because where I live, 
<laughs> Macedonia Park's not the easiest journey to do. One of the first things I said when it was announced, and I think, you know, look, it's it, it's the best of a bad situation, and I think that the, as much as there's people out there that will criticise everything that they do, um, the Glory and the government put that together in an extremely mm. rapid time frame. It's not something that's going to be sustainable forever. No, but also it might be an opportunity then to look and say, we need a venue south of the river that can, you know, so should it ever happen again, yeah. there could be alternative games, or you know, play north of the river, then south of the river. Who but, knows, but mate? But H- knows? HBF in the middle, it's going to be a lot easier and a lot more people can get in and watch At the least games. with HBF, it's got good rail, mm. rail coverage. You know, you can get up there pretty quickly off the freeway. So, yeah, look, it's got lots going for yeah. it. Um, but also from a business perspective, you know, there's lots of those little corporate extras that just aren't available. And then from a player's perspective, um, the change rooms at HBF, particularly now they've been done up for the World Cup, would be just brilliant. So On the telly, though, it does look good to have a ground that's completely full and tall. So, oh, look, I yeah. don't disagree with you. I watched um, a game the other week with Sydney and it was just the, the stadium was almost empty. And you think, oh. well, the spectators seem to come as fancy dressed as seats. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> or at Crystal Palace, as they say, you know, two's company, three's a crowd. <laughs> what time's kickoff? What time can you get here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, all, roll out all the good old jokes. Um, all right, we're, we're here all week. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's the, the Pride round is on today. Um, obviously, we've got both glory teams in action against Brisbane, um, with the women being at home and the men are away. So, um, obviously, some, some good football to be watched um, at any level. Uh, what else can we say? That's about it. I'm going to go to a break and we'll be back after this with Andreas Oliveira from Inglewood and he'll be talking about his side's off-season and night series. So back after these. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Veron. Hi, I'm Peter Skeela. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website, where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008, respectively. You're listening in to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. 
always liked Pete's promos. You know, there's Zanadan going on in the background. He's, he's so good at it. Uh, it was the way you were dancing around the studio. It was a bit, a bit worrying. <laughs> it's Pride Week. You know, I'm allowed to express myself. Um, all right, joining us in the studio now as our next guest is Andreas Oliveira, who is the coach at Inglewood United, uh, one of the new breed of young coaches coming through and doing exceedingly well. Andreas, good morning. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. How's everyone? Yeah, very good. It's a it's a wonderful day for night football. Yes, it is. It is. It uh, has been probably in the last probably couple of weeks, to be honest. Yeah, look, I think the the competition itself, when you look across the, the entire comp, has been very interesting. Um, Armadale seemed to be um, on the up. There's a few other clubs that are have stabilised. Um, you've got a new club in Kingsway coming in. Uh, it's just interesting watching some of those results. You know, Red Star, the 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 last year's winners were looking good and then indifferent, and then we're you know, I just it's been an, an enthralling competition. Yeah, it's just I, I think it's just pre-season competition, so um, everyone's trying to get an understanding each other, and, and I think. People have probably started later than uh, than other teams in pre-season, so the match fitness and, and the uh, physical side of the individual and team is still catching up. But um, I, I don't read too much into into night series as it is. No. Um, Kingsway so, coming up looks good. So um, yeah, but yeah, I think when the season starts, it's you know, the old foes come into it where yeah. Florida and I think Perth Red Star will come good. So. Yeah, just ticking along, I guess. But as a coach, coming into a night series, obviously you, you've got um, some new players coming into the squad. You've had some, some players that have been with you for a while leave. Um, so there's a lot of toing and froing. Uh, Inglewood have got a, a good MPL youth system behind them, so you're hoping to push some of those boys up. It, do you see the night series has been somewhere you experiment and play with some of that? Yeah, so I think... Been my fourth year in night series, so as a coach, so every year I, I started getting an understanding that that's probably what the best um, best thing for um, night series for us is. You know, breed young players and get them understanding um, the certain level they need to be at, and as well for new players to come in and understand what not only what how the team is playing, but as you know their teammates individually how they you know, interact with them um, in the game. So. It, uh, that's what we're trying to use night series for. Um, we started only the beginning of January, uh, mm. first week pre-season. So we said to each other, you know, we're going to use night series as as a pre-season game. Um, I think there's no other state in the country that actually has night series. No. So um, we were, one of our players, Maddie, he was in Victoria, and he said, "This is actually great." Where he goes, you know, you get pre-season games, and it's you know. At, at a certain level against good teams where he goes over there in Victoria, they have to go find you know, teams here and there just to get squeeze games in before the season. So. Yeah, no, look, it's a very good concept. Um, when we're talking about pre-season, it, it seems to me that, you know, we've got some teams that start their pre-season in September. Um, you said you start yours in January. Is that deliberate? Give the players a rest, get them a chance to disconnect from everything and then come back fresh? Because um, I think sometimes there's there's just it doesn't seem to stop. Yeah, and that, I think look when I first took, took over Inglewood, we we did start in November and then we pushed it back into December, and I didn't see a huge difference in in terms of 
what the preparation was. And so I thought, you know, season is so long. You start in September, we finish in August. That's that's a you know, that's a long, long season for players and and mentally cope with it. Um, and I just feel that you know, with injuries and the mental side of the game, I think the players, you know, I think they appreciate it more in January and they come fit themselves. So they they figure out themselves how to get fit and then they come into pre-season in January, you know, ready to go. Um, that's what I felt a lot, the difference between the two. But, you know, everyone has their own. Um, yeah. This is actually our first time we started in January and, and I see no difference that I did when I started in November, December, now in January. I, I feel yeah. like we're in the same boat. I get it if you're if you're working with um, amateur players or guys who are in social leagues that, you know, you've, you've got to do a fair amount of fitness work to, to get them to a level where you can actually then coach them. Um, but with with uh, the elite level and obviously the NPL being, you know, the highest tier you can without playing full professional, um, there is an expectation that those players are able to, to maintain their own fitness. Exactly. You, and that's what we say to the players. You know, the club signs you and, it, you know, whether it's $100 or $200, $300, it's, it's difficult for the club to generate that kind of money. Mm. So it's, uh, like we try to make them understand that the club works hard to generate this type of money to sign you, and that's for your time to prepare yourself to play for the club. I said, so it's sort of to get them understanding that it is professional when it's semi-professional. I mean that you've got to eat right, you've got to get ready. Yeah. It's it's not my responsibility as a coach to get you fit. My responsibility is to get this team going. So. You're as as a player individual. That's you know that's your responsibility to get fit to get the maximum out of yourself, and for the team you're coming into play for. So it, it's trying to make them aware, and that, that some players understand that because they've been doing it for a while. Um, and it's more the younger players out there. Where uh, they, you know, they've been with the twenties. Yeah. This season's totally different when it comes into the first team. And I think you you look at you know we say professionalism and semi-professional. I I think that. You know, professional football is is like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. Um, there, there's no there's no halfway. There's no semi-pregnant women out there. Um, so I think you know the, it's a professional mindset. And I, I remember we we had um, a couple of people come in. One from the who'd been through the Glory um, system, and another one who'd played as a goalkeeper in Ireland um, with the Shamrock setup. And when they came in, their warm-ups and, and their dedication to their fitness was above and beyond. And they really set new standards for us. And I think that that's an important thing when we, we go from being an amateur sport to being a professional sport is that, you know, there's, there's no there's nobody there having a, a ciggy in between breaks. And you know, it's a full... Well, no, when I, when I was playing football in the UK, uh, not unusual back in you know the, the 70s to see a player elite level player at halftime having a ciggy. Um, but th- it's all changing now and, and we, we are expecting these people to be fitter and, and healthier. And then from a coach's perspective, you know, very easy to coach a, a group of people that are fit rather than people that are wheezing and, and trying to suck in as much oxygen as they can. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, the, I, I feel the difference between professional and semi-professional is like um, you have more control. So main. Mm meaning that you have control of what they're eating and, you know, are they keeping up with tabs with their, you know, exercise or, you know, their fat um, folds and things like that. 
um, where in semi-professional you're you're trying to make them understand that's your job. Um, and 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 I think over time, over years, footballs have developed into players understand that you know you need to take care of yourself. So I mm. think that development of people having figures. Stopped because they realised it's <laughs> stopped not a while ago. But, you, but the thing is, it's now looking real. I mean, you, you look at players like Gio Colley and um, Adam Zimmerino, who a year or two ago were playing for their clubs in the NPL, who are now, you know, playing glorious full time professionals. So, you know, the, the gap has closed in that way. And I think it's important that players understand it's there if you want it. Yeah, exactly. Look, even when I was playing back. In you know, in the late nineties and early two thousand, um, we were only training two nights a week, so there was no Perth Glory Academy. So you had people like Todd Howard, Dino Dubilich, yep. um, even Robbie Gasper nicked off to uh, Indonesia, Malaysia. They did that on their own back. Yeah, you only train twice a week, so they figured out how to maintain their professionalism and and made it to certain. And there was other players that went to Europe, so. Mm. Um, I think that's that's helped a lot for the Glory Academy to come in. So it makes these players from a young age to become aware and professional in it. So, and I think that just changes the character of the player. Where back then, some players probably weren't, you know, born into a soccer family, so they probably mm. didn't understand, you know, how much they needed to push. So I think that's what. The education has sort of brought into WA, but still a long way, I think, is the gap between professionalism and MPL, yeah. semi-professional. Um, for a player just to jump into it, that's probably what everyone's waiting for. So a player from MPL can just jump straight into A-League, um, and that will help the standards yeah. for MPL. I interviewed Dino um, a little while ago, and, you know, uh, learn a lot about how hard he had to work to be that lucky. So, you know, it's it's it doesn't just fall at your feet. There's there's an awful lot of of trial, tribulation, and pain and anguish that you have to go through to get there. So it was it, yeah. Look, it, it's not that easy. Um, over the close season, obviously, you've had some players go and you brought some players in. Who, who have you brought in of note? So I brought in uh, Michael Domsey uh, from Sterling. Yeah. Um, probably one of the best strikers for the last ten years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, he was a handful playing against. Um, brought as well Shub from Perth Soccer Club. Yep. Um, and also Kieran from Western Knights and Reno. Yep. Um, so I brought in a few of these players. Um, and the ones that left, left for reason, they went to Melbourne. They got signed over there. So, um, and others, you know, just um, went to other clubs. So um, I brought a mix of experienced uh, winners and, and good people as well yep. um, that's the main thing good good people um, fitted right into the club and and the guys they enjoy it um, and I brought in Maddie Natopoulos from Victoria uh, no, sorry Port Melbourne yep um, Maddie's an exceptional midfielder so and he brings a wealth of experience playing over there so I think that combine of quality um, that winning mentality and just good good people um, will help us you know, push for the next level, which hopefully could be a top four. Yeah, it'd be good. Um, any youth coming up through the ranks? Uh, so we had we had a young fella named Ebear, but he got signed by a Melbourne team. You don't mind um, them moving onwards and upwards, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So he was he was on the fringe with the first team. So 
last year we brought him up. He was training with us full time, um, but he was like in the uh, in the. We we're probably going to give him five or six games started, so we did that towards the end. But this year we saw him ready to go. So this year we included him as a fully fledged first team player. Um, but you know, how unfortunate he gets signed by a, a Victorian team over in Div One, I think it was NPL. Yeah. Um, so we've lost him, and we've brought up Chris um, as well from the twenties, where he was with us, um, and he wasn't expected that many games. And I think he's uh, developed and maturing a lot better. So he's now full fledged first team player as well. So, um, and we're looking at one or two. Um, so we've got a young striker named Tex. Um, he's been playing twenties, um, but we've we've bringing these players up. It's just being patient with them. Um, yeah. Let them. Be, get an understanding, let them have mistakes and, you know, the mental side as well so they don't get too down on themselves with, you know, a lot of pressure that, you know, you, you've got to be like that. So we sort of, Absolutely. when we bring them up, yeah, we, we bring them up by training with us and then try to get a few minutes under their belts and then, you know, maybe we can throw them in at, at a game and then test themselves there and there. And as well, that helps with attitude to see if they really want it. Um, you know, you get, I think it was a uh, Alex Ferguson um, quote one time he said he used to bring up a young player and then he'd drop them for two weeks yep. and then he'd just check out what their attitude is like. Yes, I thought that, that I thought that was great because that's probably you know that's the only way you can judge people um, just to know. see how they are under pressure in certain. And you've been through that journey yourself, so you have an understanding. And I think, you know, when you go from the 20s or reserve football to first team, the first thing that you notice is very apparent is the speed. And it's not just the, the pace that, that the game is played at and the, and the speed the ball moves at, but it's the speed of thinking. And, you know, exactly. you've got to be able to, to do that. You may be a very good player at reserve level, but if you can't think that fast, you're going to not make it. So it's about being exposed to it. And, and some people rise to the challenge and some, some don't. Yeah, and when I mean pressure, I don't mean pressure from the coaching side. It's pressure from your own teammates because, you, like you said, if you're not adjusting to the speed and you consistently make uh, mistakes, obviously the, the, your teammates are going to not have a go at you but sort of you know, tell you to stop doing it, stop doing it, and you, you don't know what you're doing wrong, so you're trying to learn what's right and wrong with it. And I suppose, look, you come up against different people. I know, look, from, from my experiences in the State League, and we've got a lot of young players at our club that have stepped up and, and started playing seniors. Um, and probably my biggest thing about the 20s, an issue with the 20s is this, that it's very different when you're, you're playing against players that are similar age to you but you go and play first team for a state league side as a 17 or 18 year old and um, particularly say like a striker and you come up against a centre half who's got underpants older than you and they they know all of the dirty tricks in the book um, and they do not worry about your age and as I told my, my kids when they started playing senior football once you cross that line you've lost all rights to be treated like a child so that people grow up very quickly in that environment yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's where it's my responsibility as a coach to be patient with them yeah. and make them understand that, that you know, it, it takes time, um, and, you know, we're all looking at it, and I think the most critical part as a coach and young player is that they understand that you are helping them, 
Uh, mm. you know, and it's hard to, you know, words don't don't help a lot. It's more to say, listen, look, this is like the other day I said the the under twenty got player went to play with the twenties friendly. He thought I wasn't watching, and I did. And he had an excellent game, and I flicked him a message, and you know, I gave him the stats of you know what he what he's done and what he's achieved during that game. And I said that's exactly the level that you know, not myself, but everyone is looking at. So. It's trying to make them be aware that, yeah, we're here to help. We are looking at everything possible to push you further. And it's not just for our first team. It's for them to go, if they can make glory or go to Europe for trials. That's, it's just preparing them. That's, that's what we try to try to do at Inglewood. So. Yeah, absolutely. You've got, you got to control that dream and, and make it achievable at the same time. Now, your night series, you, you didn't have the best of starts um, against the the reigning holders of Red Star, but um, you certainly come good from that point on. Yeah, so uh, Perth Red Star is probably one of the benchmarks of, of the um, league, and I think with Floriot, so um, we both were testing each other out. We both were trying um, different players and different formations, so I think we were in the right level where we want to be. Um, obviously, games are lost by not scoring and getting goals scored against. So they, you know, got a penalty and won the game and we missed a few chances where we probably could have put it away. So, you know, you don't look at the result. You look at where we are, how we're playing, other players still enjoying it. And I think with that, we can um, push push to, um, to where we want to go. Now, you've got a, a game tomorrow night against the, the new boys, Kingsway Olympic. Have you seen them play at all? Yeah, yeah, and then they're going to be interesting. They've got um, they signed quite a few players, good players too. Yeah. So they're looking like they're mixing with the players they had last year. So they've got a good um, cohesion team there with themselves, and they've got a great coach. Uh, I can see that the boys are playing for him and want to play for him. So um, you know, it, it's a good test to see where they are and yeah. you know, to understand what what they're going to bring. So. And do you see that as a test for yourself? Obviously, you're up against a very well credentialed coach who's coached at you know professional level. Um, is that for you a personal battle as well? Yeah, well, I think like any person, you know, if you're competitive, you, you try to look at you know what you can, the weakness of the, you know the coaches, what yeah. they've got, what they don't have, what they do. Um, you know, some are very experienced and know how to hide that until the game happens, but. You just keep learning, and, and it's very good. Now, I think that's pretty much why we all do sports, because it's a competitive environment, gets you away from your personal life, so and you, you enjoy it. So if it wasn't, then I wouldn't be continued coaching. So no, I, th- I think, like a lot of us, we, we, we played um, player manager, or was it player manager and all those games, um, <laughs> championship, manager. championship manager and things like that, you know. Uh, I I was playing championship manager 24-7 at one point and then I got involved in a club and I put it away because I do the real thing now. Um, so, yeah. But it, but it is, and that's the whole point. You are competitive and I think, you know, look, the um, in view of the coaches around there, you are one of the, the younger coaches. Uh, yourself and John O'Reilly are very young uh, in coaching terms. So you, you've both been now coaching for a number of years at that level. So... Um, how do you find that as a, as a development curve for you? I think every year I learn different things. I think in football-wise, I think everyone knows tactics. 
Um, so I think football, if you can't get to... When you get to this level, obviously clubs know that you know football, the game itself, you yeah. know what you need to do. But there's other things behind that. So, And that's where I think um, people think they get that from the coaching course. No, the coaching course just helps you you know, understand the, the, the foundation of, yeah. of coaching. The other thing is what you're learning, the man management, you know, dealing with other coaches with 18s and 20s, dealing with young, young players, um, aspects and, you know, where we need to go um, and and as well being patient like you got a progress process so you got to follow it and sometimes the pressure eats you away and you might change it and it might not work for you but every year you're just learning little things and and that's most enjoyable about, uh, about football is that it's you're learning things for life it's not just football you're learning you're learning the things you deal and even talking to you guys this is I don't do this in it every day of my life. So this is learning how to talk to you guys in the radio, you know, my saying the right things. So it, it, that's the enjoyable yeah. part of it. So. Yeah, I think, and you know, we've, we've seen. I think there was a, a fly on the wall documentary done of the glory recently, and um, you know, I think Ruben got some criticism because it was there was quite industrial language within that, and I think that's part of this, you know. Um, you have to be very controlled about what words you use and the choice of words, particularly when it's going out to a large audience. So it is, it's a learning curve for me as well. And, you know, I think it's great that we, we get to talk to these you know, people like yourself that haven't had that training, um, but also to find out a little bit about you and, and humanise a coach, because I think sometimes you just... Robotics. Robotic, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, people criticise coaches because they didn't press the, the goal button at the right time. and you know, <laughs> Didn't press the X to shoot. <laughs> yeah, if only it was that, that simple, you know. But that's no, good. I keep saying that to my boys. I'm like, I can't win you the game. I, I, I don't play. I don't have a control to do anything. I wish I did. I would zap you so many times. But it's... It, you know, and that's the, the the beauty of it is that you know, as a coach, you can only do so much, and that's it. You you know, you can't think a coach is going to win you the whole league or the game. It, at the end, it's those players that do it. You're just hoping you build that foundation for them, that they enjoy it, and they go out and play and do and exit it. So. Unfortunately, it's the coach that pays the price, though, if you don't win it. Well, you can't sack 20 players, can you? So. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure some are? clubs have tried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to that day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as a former player and, and a very good player in your day, um, how frustrating is it on the sidelines when you see a player, particularly in the position that you played, um, and the execution is poor and you know they're better than that? I won't, I won't lie about this, and I'll be very honest. At the beginning, it was very frustrating because I'll be like, "Why? Why do they do that? You know, I don't, don't understand it. They could have just done this." And you, and as well, you're trying to teach them that. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, doing it for a few years, I, I totally understand. Everyone has a different mo- my, uh, mindset in that split second moment. You know, some players they they deal with it in a different way, and others. You know, they don't see it and it takes them a while to understand it. So to say, do I get frustrated? No, not anymore. Um, I, what I'd look at it is more, you know, everyone's different as a player. I can't expect everyone to be a messy or do things that Messi does. And, you know, uh, I can't expect them to think that I'm a Jose Mourinho 
you know, <laughs> bring up some magic. So, no, there's no frustration. Um, and I think the game has changed as well. So from when I was playing to what it is now, and forwards are more athletic than I was. And um, I think they're, it's, it, they're better, and I think there's a bright future. Absolutely. Look, Andreas, um, all the things have been told about you are true. You're, you're a wonderful young man, um, doing a very good job over there at Inglewood. Um, best of luck tomorrow night with your, your game and the rest of the night series. Uh, thank you, and thank you for having me on. Appreciate no, thank it. Thank you. Take care. You too. Okay, Andreas Oliveira, who is the coach at Inglewood. Um, I wish I was 30 years younger, because I remember pre-season running up that hill and then running up again and then again, yeah. having a 10-minute break. Then running up again at a quicker time than the last. Oh, look! I used to love pre-season. You know, you'd go, you'd, no, you'd go out to to Scarbs and you'd run up and down sand dunes all day in forty degree heat, or we'd go out to to the hills and run through Kalamunda and yeah, no, it was great. You know, the sun beating down, and I was a, a little redhead boy, which you know, with pale white skin didn't help. You know, just oh, horrible. I hated preseason. <laughs> it is true, though, isn't it, that yeah. the modern-day footballer looks after themselves and, yeah, you know, gone are the days. As you say, you know, professionals having a quick cigarette at half-time in the changing room, probably some had a pint as well. Oh, look, I remember playing one, one Boxing Day game and uh, our goalkeeper, there was snow all over that we had to brush the lines to play the game. And uh, the goalkeeper, who was my brother-in-law, had a bottle of whiskey in the goal and kept himself warm. Yeah, no, it's changed a bit. Um, yeah, so that's where we are with that. Now, night series, uh, there have been some results from last night. Sterling Macedonia beat Floriot 1-0 in a game that uh, Floriot, uh, sorry, that Sterling Macedonia had to win to have any chance of, of going through. Um, they're still dependent on a couple of results, I think. Oh, no, they're not. It was Armadale and Perth that did it. So Sterling are through, I think, with Armadale being beaten by Perth 2-0. Perth definitely had to win that game to go through, but I think Sterling's are through now. Um, Bayswater 2, Balcata 0, Perth Red start 4, Sorrento 1. There are two fixtures left in this round, and that will be um, at Inglewood, Inglewood. And they're Perth Glory versus Coburn at 5pm. And Inglewood versus Kingsway, so top versus second for that yes. game. So it'd be interesting. It's 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 interesting to see Kingsway do so well in the night series uh, coming up from the state league last year. But as you said, you know they've signed a, a fair few players, and which I think you need to do from the state league to the NPL. You know, I don't know how much of a gap there is between the top of the state league and the bottom of the NPL, but you do need to still improve. But look, there is there is a, definitely a step up. There is some increases needed and I think you know when you look at it Forestville went up a couple of years back I think they they increased their squad with a couple of mm. quality players who certainly made the difference but yeah there's there's not a lot between the two no, the, top, I remember, the top three or four in, in Divi 1 are more than capable on their day and it has to be on their day mm. yeah because Rockingham City went up a couple of years ago and they, they survived the first season, but it's, that, it's always that second season, season it's syndrome. Second I mean, it's second season. season. Yeah. It's like that dodgy second album, isn't yeah. it? So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I look, and there's there's lots of things, differences between the two leagues that people don't factor in. Um, I know when June Lup United went up, they they climbed the leagues very, very quickly, ended up in the NPL. 
a um, bunch of guys who were dedicated, wanting to play for the club, who then got a taste of NPL, and then <clears throat> dollar notes started falling around mm. them, and it kind of made things difficult. Yeah, yeah. One thing was interesting about training in January, and where other teams have started earlier, and you know, would some people, well, some players think about going to join another club because they've already started pre-season, and people might want to play. Absolutely, but yeah. I think, look again, uh, club mantra that we have is that if you want to be at the club be at the club yeah you know and if you don't want to be then you know don't, yeah, don't move on <laughs> yeah exactly so it's, it's interesting so yeah those are the fixtures for the um for the state league oh, sorry for the MPL, MPL. um fixtures but look, good quality games we watched out there at Inglewood so if you're in the um Inglewood Stadium tomorrow, 5 o'clock and then 7 o'clock. As a neutral, then certainly you can go out that way. Um, We've got the State League uh, quarterfinals start uh, tonight. So up at Ellenbrook, we've got uh, Gwellup, who are the team relegated from NPL last year, playing Mum. So interesting there that uh, uh, Tacky will be playing or coaching mum against his old club. <laughs> um, so it'll be a bit of interest there. And then we've got Knights versus Morley out at Ellenbrook. Mm-hmm. So the early games at six and the late games at eight. And Knights and Morley will be an interesting game, I think. Mm, I think so. Yeah. And then at Wanneroo, we've we've got the, the distance local derby where both Rockingham and Mandra are probably They've probably set off now, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but look, again, a game that would... At this stage of the season, had that been played in the Peel area, probably had at least, you know, 400, 500 people at it. No dramas. Mm, easily. Yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, that's um, going up to, to Wanneroo. I understand why, and I'm not saying this is a, this is where the venues were, um, both at uh, Crazy Domains and at Wanneroo. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it'll still be a good game. Mm. And I think the later game, Fremantle versus Joondalup City tonight. Yes, it is. Uh, that's, yes. Uh, that's at 8 That should be quite interesting as well. So Fremantle gone through a few changes this year. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm, I'm off to the Rockin' and Mandra game. I might stay on to watch the Fremantle June Love game. Got some friends at Fremantle. That oh, always good to catch up after the summer break. Don't, don't we all? <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, there are a good bunch of people out there, and I've known Morris Atiri for a long time. He's a um, terrific guy. But, um, look, again, you look at that, Rockingham, Mandra, Frio, June, Lup City, all doing well in the night series. Bodes well for Division One, and I think uh, you know the Division Two club being City. So um, it's not not a bad comp. I think Rockingham only lost one game to Ashfield, um, and they were two 0 up in that one. <laughs> yeah. So um, it'd be interesting to to see how that goes. Uh, Mandra have been, and we'll talk to John very shortly. Have been magnificent in their campaign, so you can't really. Um, you can't question the way that they've gone about things, and they've also played some pre-season games and scored lots and lots of goals pre-season before the night series. Yeah. So, very attack-minded, and I'm sure John will explain more uh, of his uh, thinking of how to play the game. Uh, yeah, look, I thought it was interesting. He's got a good blend there of, of um, you know experience and youth, um, and I just think you know when you're looking at it from a, a club perspective, you've got someone of John's experience. Um, playing against some of the you know, 19, 20-year-olds, the, the learning curve they must have. Mm. And then you know, for him to be playing against some players that are young in opposition teams, they must get a lesson. 
I think so. And, and, and also with Rockingham, they've now got yeah. some experienced coaches in, certainly at their junior level, that that will only bode well for that club as well. So I'm even going to talk about football in the Peel region because that's the area that I'm Absolutely. more in. But no, look, I think th- things are looking up for the Peel. The Peel the region years, in general, in, in all areas, is looking up. And I think, you know, some of the, the things that's happened with the freeway and, you know, the accessibility has certainly Im- improved the area. We talked about that before the the, the broadcast. But, um, you know, I'm involved in walking football and I was talking to Terry Goddard, who is in charge of the Peel Walking oh, Football. I know Terry very well. Yes, yeah. so do I. Um, and that's going great guns and some very, very different strategies. Uh, most of us up here are playing Saturday mornings or evenings during the week. Um, he, in a last conversation I had with Terry, was you'll be amazed at how many people are free during the week. And you've got down there um, walking football happening well, Monday, Friday, Monday, through. Monday, Tuesday, Fridays. As a yeah. player of the walking football down there himself, so uh, yeah, I've, it's it's good fun and and it's. Look, I I sort of helped Terry set that up, and there were times when there was me and Terry in a park kicking a ball to each other about three yeah. years ago, and now. You know, there's almost been, a waiting list to play. <laughs> been there myself. Uh, and look, an absolute convert to the walking football. Well, it's good to see the Peel area so healthy. It's such a catchment zone. Um, and great that players can have the ability to to do what they do locally. Um, talk later when we talk to John Baird about the, the players he's got. But Hamish Van Deken played for us. And one look, terrific young man came up to us on, you know, some promises that couldn't be fulfilled and we had no idea of and our conversation with him was you need to be playing either with uh, Mandurah or Rockingham but you know there's no need for you to travel up to Perth Hmm. because you know it's it's just ridiculous and people chasing the game for a couple of dollars and really they should be playing within their local areas I'm glad to see that Hamish is doing so well all right we're going to go a break and we'll be back after this with John Baird hey hey it's Futsal WA the leading futsal organization in Western Australia with continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432-745-140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoth, Pete Skeeler, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Program. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. So we were talking about uh, the night series beforehand with Andreas Oliveira and now we're, we're going to talk about the State League um, night series and waiting there patiently on the line is the Mandurah City coach, John Baird. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, good morning. Um, 
your team's doing very well in the night series. Um, how much of your pre-season preparation change of players has impacted on that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's went, to be fair, it's went uh, quite well. We've, we've added three or four players uh, that uh, a few have enhanced the squad. We've got a really strong squad, so it's it's made pre-season very, very enjoyable. The, the first three night series games, we've been able to alternate the squad and stuff like that, a bit of rotation, so it's worked it quite well. Yeah, look, it's, it's always interesting. We were just talking to Andreas about pre-season. Um, he started his in January. When when did you start yours? We started in January, the first week of January. Uh, we had the boys in the first week in February. Uh, sorry, first week in December. We've done testing, uh, yo-yo tests, etc., weights and stuff. So if they were at a certain level, uh, we wouldn't have to train in December. Uh, but I've got a conscientious group. Uh, so I knew they would be looking after ourselves. The fact that they come back in uh, great condition, uh, it's actually probably the fittest group of players that I've been involved in since I started playing football uh, in a professional basis. So that's a credit to them, especially when they're only part time. Yeah, look, I think it's a credit to the league. I've been involved in the state league myself since what around about two thousand and two. So um, I've seen a real change within the state league from a, an amateur mindset through to a, a more professional mindset, and I, I, it can only do the, the game good. And first division sides are certainly at the top end, very competitive with NPL sides. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, since this is, I think this is my fourth season involved, maybe yep. as in. Two as, a, two as a player, two as a, a coach. So I have seen a difference as well. Uh, I totally agree with that, uh, especially at, at Moan Club. Uh, but but it's got to go, the credit's got to go to the players. Uh, the coaches can only make the demands, etc. But if the players don't take it on board, it doesn't move. It doesn't go forward. And yeah. I think... I think the clubs also have to set that professionalism around the club as well. I mean, players will, will yeah. do what's required of them, provided the environment they're in reflects that. So if, you've, if you're treating them like professionals and, and maybe not being able to pay them as professionals, but at least, you know, some duty of care around the players, an investment in their fitness, an inve- investment in their health, investment in their mental health, all of those things pay dividends. Oh, totally, totally. I've seen a, a big difference, especially with our group. Uh, since I took over as head coach uh, last last season, to this season, even the, the difference in the condition from over the year till turning up for pre-season this year. Uh, and you say that, that that doesn't just help you on the pitch, it doesn't just help you. It helps you, obviously, your mental health. It helps you uh, if you're working. It just, just helps full-time when you're fit. So... It's uh, the boys. The boys have come on really well for that, and hopefully that's something that the league will progress because there is a lot of good players in this at this level. Absolutely. Now you you've got a history of bringing in quality players, no more so than the one you brought in at the end of last season. Um, have you signed any more personal friends, or you, uh, was that uh, just a bold experiment? Uh, no, they're not personal. Well, sorry, we weren't personal friends. Obviously, uh, with my background, I've played against Lee many a times yeah. uh, through the age groups. He's only, I think, I'm going to, I think he's five years younger than me. I'm saying a bit older, but uh, a lot, Lee obviously was a big player in Scotland, so I played against him a few times, played stuff like that, and uh, we, we didn't know each other 
as in personally, but okay. obviously mutual. Uh, we, we did, and I, I remember when he never the club, he never the club, and I remember saying to my one of the coaches, I said to Graham Tough, I said to Graham Tough, uh, I'll. Lee Griffiths hasn't got a club, and I, I won't repeat what he said to me. But <laughs> I, I know, Tuffy, I know uh, exactly what he would have said. <laughs> yes, uh, the word off was involved. Yeah. So, but that was just, uh, to, like, obviously, the caliber player, but we were able to get that over the line. And it wasn't just about, it was more about enhancing the club. I think the training at that point went through the roof, up to another level. Uh, the interest in the club as well. Like, we, we signed the boy, uh, we signed Aaron McCready yeah. on the back of that from from America, who's an Irish kid. Yeah. Who actually, because of the Lee Griffiths situation, the club came came to write for him, and he was able. He actually contacted us because of it, and I think that shows you the levels that we're starting to get it. Uh, that is something that, because of my background, that I will look to do. Yeah. Uh, but this time, I would rather have a player for. A period of time, uh, I would rather try and get something for a season rather than. Oh no! Look, and I think you've got to be commended on what the, what you did as a club because, yeah, yeah, from from a club perspective, you know, there was a lot of interest, but there was a lot of interest in the state league. There was a lot of interest in yeah. WA as a footballing destination, and it wasn't just local. It wasn't just national. It was international, and I think that's lost on some people. Um, some people got caught up in the in the negative sides of things that were there. But you know, look, he was a certainly. A bold move, and I, I think the club needs to be congratulated for you know daring the dream and then make it happen. No, no, I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. And the, the negative side is just people. You know, I've seen it through football all my all my life since I left school. Uh, just, just jealousy. Yeah, of course, there's it is. no other way about it. No. But jealousy. Now, when you look at, uh, I remember Lee's agent phoning me when it was announced, and he said to me, "Look, this is going to be worldwide," and that. I'll be honest, I was like, Lee, come to, I, because I don't look at Lee as a big deal, to be honest. I just look at him as a normal guy that plays football because that's the way I played against him. Mm. Uh, and he is a normal guy. That gets totally lost. Now, when it happened, my phone battery died in about 45 minutes. I had news <laughs> outlets from all over uh, the UK, and then it actually got as far as India and stuff like that. Now, when you look at your socials on uh, the social media, I think it was like, in the space of a couple of, a couple of days, they were hit like quarter of a million times. Yeah. Now, if that's not just good for the football club, as you mentioned about the league, now our attendances more than trebled when we yeah. appeared. Yeah. We actually, when we played Forest Field away, there was rumours that he was going to be playing in that, which wasn't true. Straight away, there was an extra two hundred people at the game. Yeah. Now, if that's not enhancing the league and that's showing what the league can actually do, I think it's something that we've got to look towards to try and make it bigger now there is a as I say there's a lot of good players here and what Lee's, Lee's feedback was on it he couldn't believe the standard as in there's players here that could play professional mm. in the UK now oh. he's a a couple of years ago he played against England and scored two goals in the same part as Harry, yeah. Harry Kane and all. so that was a type of, a Champions League international player now, no no definitely I, I think you know uh, brilliant when he's talking, and, and he, what I mean is he's speaking well 
of our league. Yeah. Now, since I've come over, hey, hey, I've felt like it's put down very much. Organization in Western uh, Australia. And I, I really it's know continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all round. Hang on. Because the WA also provides. The league will get so much better. Yeah. The league will get so much better for it. And NPL. Yeah, sorry about that gremlin there in the middle of that. Um, now, you mentioned Graham Tuff earlier on. Um, is is Graham uh, involved this year? Yes, uh, my coaches are here are Graham Tuff, Alex Grayson and Matt Brooks. Uh, and, and Peter, so <laughs> that sounds Peter. like a dream team already. Uh, it's, uh, it's obviously quite a debatable team when we're sitting talking about stuff and that, but that's what, that's what you want. You want people who are, I feel, are as probably better than me coaches and stuff yeah. like that so I learn off them and they learn off me so it's 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 good it's been good so far obviously since we started so and yeah, is Graham me. just coaching now or is he coaching and playing no 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 he's playing and coaching same as okay. myself yeah. uh, Matt and Alex uh, will be on the will be uh, on the side so there will be times that we'll possibly not be on the team but yeah. I feel but we've had Alex knows the club very well. He was a yes. manager. He was a head coach. Yep. So he's actually got more experience than me. And Matt Brooks has been coaching since he's been sixteen year old. So yep. uh, it's a good it's a good uh, environment and the training. Uh, look, I, I can remember it a few years ago um, when Graham played for Ashfield. We played Sorrento, and he completely dismantled Jamie Harmwell. Um, at that point, it was it was uncompromising and brutal at the same time. But just it was just <laughs> oh, it was wonderful to watch. Uh, one of the best well, games I've ever seen him play. That's the thing we give him, uh, and it was the same even when Alec trained last year. Alec's going to be a big mistake on the pitch, to be honest. But your training's just as hard as games. Yeah, uh, and that, that comes for people like that. I've no harder than games, to be honest. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that in disrespect to anybody else. I'm just mean how physical it is and yeah. stuff like that. So. No, they're a wee bit old school as in the way they go about their business. But Nothing wrong I with that. that. <laughs> I, I think that's needed with the young yeah. players. I think they can learn a lot for that. And I look at that Harry Collins, for instance, it reminds me of a, a, an old school type of player. So mm. uh, if we can get that bit into the team, it'll make us... And with the players and coaches you've just mentioned, you you got in yourself, obviously, uh, a great deal of experience on the park. But then you've also got some very, very gifted youngsters. And um, talk about the likes of uh, Hamish Van Deken and Joey O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's the name of a couple. Uh, to be fair, Joey obviously got the golden boot last year. Yeah. And he's in unbelievable condition. Same with uh, Hamish Van Deken, excellent. Looking really well, but... Honestly, I could go through everybody in the squad. I don't mention individuals. Obviously, you mentioned them there, so mm. I'll reply. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, that's your job. I'll reply your comment. But yeah. I've got a very, very good bunch of players, and uh, the club's in a good shape with them. We've obviously brought in another ex-professional. No, well, saying ex-professional, he actually chose to come here instead of being at a professional club. Was Murray McIntosh from Scotland? Now he came over last year for three, four months went back home to Scotland and then wanted to come back. So I think that shows you the level the club's at and the level that the football's at here as well. So that's another massive plus. And John, one player I'm going to mention is uh, John Baird and congratulations on 200 career goals that uh, happened during the night series. Well done. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I was a, it was a proud moment. <laughs> do you remember your first? Yes, I do. Uh, it was a header against St Johnston. 
I scored against the Rangers goalkeeper actually, Alan McGregor. I lobbed, I lobbed him with a header and I'm five foot seven, so I was quite happy about that. <laughs> uh, I can remember my first, I can remember my hundred, I can remember my hundred and fifty actually, and obviously my two hundred. And, so, and I'm going to well, ask, something, something. I want to ask, what's the best? What? The best goal? I sco- oh, that's, uh, I scored against Rangers in a cup final, extra time, two or three minutes to go. Uh, for Ray Rovers now I'm a big Celtic fan I've never denied it so that was as good as anything to be honest No look and I suppose this is the other thing that people don't always see that we've got some very well credentialed footballers in this state who have played at those levels so um, and it's great to see that you're still out there pulling the boots on and doing the business mate Oh thank you I appreciate that I, I will miss it when it's when it's up uh, but I really do enjoy playing. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on the wrong okay. side. I'm on the wrong side of sixty. And I still miss it. I, I still love playing the game. I, I play walking football, but um, you know, I would love to be as, as uh, Jim said earlier, thirty years younger. Because you know, I, I just I love this game. I played it when I was at school um, with with the fingers on the desk with a bit of rolled up paper. I've played Sabutio. I've played it on the on the TV. I play it in my sleep. So you know. Uh, I think, yeah. and it's an important thing. I think we keep saying this with the um, the development of youth, and this, you know, I, I see clubs that have elite under eights, and we're we're making this elite football the the pinnacle. And a lot of kids leave because they don't make the NPL side, they don't make the state side, or whatever. But what we're not doing is what we used to do, which was teach kids how to love the game first and foremost. Because then yeah. when, once you love the game, you can grow in the game. And even if you don't uh, get to a point where you are able to play professionally, you can still dream about it on a Sunday afternoon at 35, kicking goals in, in, in a vet's competition, that you're still going to get the call up for, for the country of birth. No, I, I totally agree with that. I've actually got academy myself in Mandurah. Uh, and one of the big things is the enjoyment uh, for the off. Now, if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to get better at something. It's as simple as that. Uh, and I think when you mentioned about like, the under-8s, like elites and stuff like that, yeah. I do think kids, when they don't make it to NPL, as in like, 13, 14, 15, 16, through what I've seen, they take it very disheartened. Uh, they get disheartened, sorry. It's not... My thing is, it's not where you start, it's where you end in football. So I don't... Mm. That, that, doesn't really matter, and it's the same when you see sixteen-year-olds, seventeen-year-olds, maybe eighteen, going, "How am I not getting a game in the first team?" You're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. You've even left school. Yeah. But let's be honest. I, I'd, you're playing a man's game. If you put them in too early, they could uh, maybe not work. Possibly dishearten them again. So I think I, I do think kids need to be patient here. If you're we're talking about going into first team level, but they're. But I wouldn't get too worried about the, the NPL situation for 13s to 16s. I think mm. that. And, and then when you look at those play, players, those players that get to play at those elite levels, you know, um, pe- people look at um, you know Rooney and say, "Oh, he was playing at, at 18, 19." Um, Joe Cole played for West Ham at 15. Mm-hmm. These guys are just freaks. Norman Whiteside, oh, youngest player class. playing the World Cup final, you know. The world Cup, well, Rooney, Rooney yeah. was a 16-year-old, Bolt is yeah. like a 25-year-old. So there's a difference in that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a total difference in that. Everybody, every individual's different and peaks at a different time. Yeah. So I don't... I've, I've seen players make their debuts at 15, 16, and then they're out the game by 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've seen guys make their debuts at 20, 
and they're still playing it now at 35, 36. So they really, I think there's a lack of patience yeah. um, well, in the football in Australia, and I think they need, if they can draw that back, especially the expectations on the kids, I think they'll get a lot better for it. Jamie Vardy, another one late, late yeah. into football. Antonio was late into football. Um, you know, and these guys are patient and they, they've been through all that pain and anguish. Becoming a, a, a professional footballer is not a give me. It doesn't just happen. You have to work awfully hard. You have to have an awful lot of disappointment and an awful lot of pain to get there. Yeah, it's what people don't see. It's the work you do that people don't see. Now, you see a couple of hours in the training pitch, that's nothing. It's what you do outside it that makes it. You need to do the extras. You need to be in the gym. You need to do the extras on the pitch yourself and stuff like that. That's because you're ahead. You get ahead of people. Now, just because you're playing, like a, say like the Perth Glory, for instance, playing in the NPL, and you're probably classed as one of the best in the state for that age, that doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. Mm. It's about the next. It's about where you finish and where you... If you want to be a professional footballer, just going and doing that for the four times a day, you need to do extra on top of that. It's a full-time job. Now, when you turn 18, 19, you're probably working, so it makes it more difficult. But when you're at school, at these levels, you can train harder. Yeah. You've got more responsibilities in your house, like bills and mortgages nah. and all the rest of nah, that exactly. stuff. So I find that frustrating. I must admit, that side that I find that frustrating. Oh, I'm tired. Like, I'm yeah. tired. Look, my my boys were, were very good footballers in their very early years, 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s, and you know, even up until they were... 1920s are still very good players and I used to get people asking me when they were 9 and 10 you know are you going to take them over to England on trial and I said no because if they're still I'll be happy if they're still playing at any level at 19 and yep, yep. and they were you know and that's that to me is, is job done because they're, they're now playing because they want to um, not because I want them to and they're enjoying the game Myself, I still play, albeit a modified version, and I'm on the wrong side of 60, and I think that's great. And I play with guys at walking football who are in their 70s. And, you know, you talk about where you end up. If you're 70-plus and you're still out there playing football, you are a winner in my book. Oh, you've won. You've, you've won, do you know what I mean? I, I, I just I think the, the, the social aspect that, aspect as well, and that's a big thing I've noticed, yes. the difference here than being in the UK. Now, I struggled, let's see, like the boys, for instance, after the game, they go up into the the, the bar, the lounge yeah. type of thing, they'll sit and have a cup of beer. I was not used to that at all. We would basically get took out of the stadium, jumped in a car, then home. So you were like an hour away. Like, say for Dundee, I was, I was yeah. about an hour away from when I was at Dundee. So you missed that. So the social aspect here is brilliant compared to what it is back home. And it makes the players in the dressing room so much closer. And yeah. I feel it's more enjoyable, but it's just trying to get a fine line between that and the professionalism. Absolutely. Look, John, you've got Rockingham um, tomorrow night. Tonight. Oh, sorry, tonight, yes. Tonight, uh, tonight at 6pm. Um, local derby, but being played long distance. Um, obviously, no need for either club to be up for this. So that's already a given. Um, looking forward to it? Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to it. It should be a good crowd there, so that's something for us to look forward to. Uh, rocking them with a decent side they've got decent results in uh, in their night series but to be honest we, we just worry about ourselves we, we just look after ourselves as long as we're alright I'm sure we'll be fine it's the same way any other, in any other game we just treat it the same 
Well, obviously, there's a wee bit of spice. There's no getting away from that. <laughs> uh, a proper so, game of football. It is a proper game of football. Uh, but it'll be good. It'll be good for the night series as well. I think it gives that a wee bit of advertisement. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, t- a tournament that people kind of write off, and I feel that keeps a bit disrespectful mm. for yeah. it because yeah, there's not many trophies you can win. So I don't understand why. It's normally people teams that get put out will go. Oh, we weren't really interested in it anyway. It's absolute nonsense. Because John, no. you you actually said, didn't you, before the season, the, the tournament started, you're there to win it. I I, I, uh, I spoke to you about the curse of the night series, and you you told me where to go, and no, I'm going to win yeah. this night series, and that was your goal. So that's it. That, it why set out to? Oh, we'll treat this like pre pre season. The pre the, the league season's only twenty two games. Mm-hmm. That's not a season. <laughs> the, no. the night season has got to count. It, it's. I think it's just because if people get knocked out, it looks like a failure, and they're maybe scared of that. Now we got looked at, we get put out last year. And that was a failure. There's no, no hiding away from it, and it carried into the season because we never got out of the group stages. Now this year we've been able to progress. We've done better this year than what we did last year. So it's a positive already before we get into next game. But we do want to win the competition. There's no doubt about that, and the players knew about that. The players will know knew about that from day one. So there's no hiding away from it. No, look, and I think it's the same with every season. Doesn't matter what what team you're in, every team in Division 1 and every coach is planning to win. There's... Oh, 100%. 100%. And it, it, but, but when you get put out of the competition, don't say that you oh, we weren't really interested in it. That's just... That's just nice. <laughs> no, I agree with you, mate. All right. Um, look, thank you very much for being on. Um been a been a really good conversation. Thank you for what you and your club are doing for the league and, and for the, the state. Um, yep. And best of luck this after or the, tonight with uh, the Rocky game and the rest of the season. I'm sure I'll be talking to you at some point again. Yep, perfect, mate. Anything, anything. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. John Baird from Mandra City. Um, interesting chat. Hey, look the. I've been watching Mandra City and Rockingham City since I arrived in the country what, yeah. 12, 15 years ago. Since he's come on board, the professionalism, you can tell both on and off the pitch, is yeah. just absolutely amazing. That can only have been from, as he said, his professional days up in Scotland where he was a decent mm. player. And the way he talks to the players, I mean, he does tell them off when he needs to, but yeah. it's productive and it's constructive all the time. But I see this across the leagues, and I, I think you know there's a lot of clubs, Fremantle have been doing it for a while, um, but not just them, Forestfield and a few others have been upping the, the levels of professionalism and it's not just the the coach, you know, standing there yelling at people mm. like they used to do back in the day. You've, you've now working on the sports sciences, there's physios, there's, um, you know, the the health side of it is massive, but also then the mental health side of it. And, you know, we, we're starting to develop a very professional mindset. And I think, you know, a lot of clubs, um, and I know there's several, now have their players on professional contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't shy away from becoming professional. And I think, you know, whether you're picking up a couple of hundred bucks as, you know, just boot money really, um, you're still professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people can throw the, you know, the semi in before it if they want, but you're still professional. And I think that comes with a whole mindset. And it, and it has to be supported at the club level. It has to be supported by the coach level. And it has to be, you know, it just has to permeate through the league. 
uh, there's been an element of Wild West and we'll do it our way out here. And I think, you know, we've, we've got to come in line with the national registration guidelines. And I think particularly if it's reinforced with a proper transfer system, the clubs that consistently produce good youth will will benefit from that. And I'm not talking about, you know, Perth will by all means and so will Inglewood and, and a lot of those NPL clubs. But there are amateur clubs and amateur uh, junior clubs that only ever work in that junior sphere. They only have adult mm. teams who will profit from this eventually. Mm. And mm. that's what needs to happen. And we need to... It's, it's like your lawn. If you don't feed the roots, your lawn dies. <laughs> See, it started a bit bottom, work up. Yeah. But, but I do think... Let's go back to the State League Division 1 this year. I think yeah. it's going to be a cracking league this year. Oh, look, this, <laughs> as I said, I've been around State League for a long time. State League 1 has certainly increased in professionalism and the, the performances of the players and the teams and the quality of the teams is improving. But Division 2 is hot on its heels and that's also developing at a very fast rate. And I think... Whereas it, when Division 2 first started off, it used to be a stigma to play in that. We see players who are perennial um, under-20s for an NPL side will go to a Div 2 side or a Div 1 side and play first team rather than playing mm. in the, the reserves or the 20s. All right, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back after this with uh, Vince Matassa from the WA Football Hall of Fame. So back after these. Oswest Fencing and Raw Tine is a fourth generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Tine. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www futsalwa.org.au 107.9 FM your local station and we're back in the room <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're just uh, waiting for our next guest to come online at the moment so um, Sean's very busy trying to uh, organise that and as you can tell I'm doing my very best to fill in while he's uh, playing around with the technology and I think he's managed to, to work it. Oh mate, I've thrown you a hot potato <laughs> with no warning whatsoever and you've rose to the occasion which is, you know, for a Millwall man it's very unusual. I'll just put it, I'll just put it on my feet. <laughs> Alright, joining us in the studio now is the former Glory goalkeeper and a member of the WA Football Hall of Fame Vince Matassa. Vince, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Sean. Yeah, lovely morning, actually. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's been a while since I spoke to you. You've been a very busy man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my fault for having a few kids. But, um, yeah, things settling down now after the start of school. Of course, we're in the same boat. And um, we're probably not too far off the start of the new football season. A lot of pre-season training going to be started for the kids. So, uh, 
All right, mate. No, I don't know what's going on with your phone, but the line sounds a little bit iffy, but um, we're, we're picking you up at the moment, so that's okay. Um, there was an opening for the WA Football Hall of Fame Museum the other day. Um, saw some pictures on the web. It looks like a, a wonderful exhibit. I mean, it certainly took a while to, to get together and um, some, some fantastic stuff has been in storage for a few years. And so we really, the idea really was that the Hall of Fame's been going for 27 years and there's a lot of people inducted, administrators, players, but we wanted to to display some of this memorabilia. So it took a long time for us to find a suitable venue. Uh, it's not easy, obviously, when you look at security and banning it. Like people came into, the fact is, WA Training Club came to the party and allowed us to use one of their new refurbished rooms has been fantastic. So... We've got the museum set up. There's a few more things we just had to finish off before we can open it to the public. But we did have the opening night a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. Um, over 170 people came, which is including about 80 or 90 of our inductees and their families. And um, we just really enjoyed being able to show that. And I think the idea was that we could get more people to look at it and think, wow, I've got some stuff at home, and I, and I can see where it's going to be displayed. So I'm sure we're going to start receiving a lot more items now. Yeah, and I think that's a very important part of it. The the, the history of the game is, is very important, and you've got you know people like Richard Kreidler and Brett, Brett uh, Klasnitsch who do a wonderful job in, in that area, but it, it's all well and good unless we've got somewhere to display it and for people to view it. There's, there's been talk about a home for the, the WA Hall of Fame. Is that now going to be permanently with the Italian club or are we still working on a permanent venue? Oh, yeah, no, it's not a permanent one at all. We don't know where it'll go over the next two years. And um, I think we really wanted something up and running before the 2023 Women's World Cup yep. because it'll be a focus. So football will be a big focus here. So having, having that venue to be able to actually hold events so we, we went into a three-year partnership with the WA Italian Club. Longer term, don't know. I think we, we certainly found that having our own standalone museum is, is pretty tough because not only the cost of setting up, but you look at, as I said, all the other intangibles, such as you know having someone there to, and the security and overnight and things like that. So, you know, I think some people kind of thought, well, we should have our own museum. Uh, there's no sport that has that. There might be a combined sports museum in WA that we could be part of. Hard to know, but I think for... For a few years, while we try and let that play out, we've got a fantastic venue, not only because it's set up to display the items so well, but it's a functioning um, social club where you can have a meal, you can have drinks. Yeah. So rather than kind of drive out to some outer suburb and, and have a look around a, a museum, you can actually go there, have some dinner, have, bring, yeah. bring your friends and family. And, and I think that's a wonderful opportunity, not just for us to be able to host events there as well, obviously. And, and the curation of museums and museum exhibits is, is a very specialised field. And, you know, like you said, to, to have your own museum would be um, a big, big thing to do. But I suppose there is, if you can talk with the, the New Perth Museum now that it's, it's reopened and engineer some more space for those exhibits, um, that would help. You still need somewhere to keep your current exhibits and, and then rotate them through that. That's, that's right, and actually one of the really exciting parts was that we had people from the WA Museum down to have a look, yeah. and uh, they were so impressed with the way it's been set up and security and so on, and they lent us for the night uh, the charity cup, it's called, which is 1902. It was yeah. one of the most prestigious bits of memorabilia that exists in WA, hence it's locked up under lock and key in the club. <laughs> so they brought that down for the night, yeah. uh, and it was, it was amazing. I mean, half my height had COVID. 
And uh, I think it was around 63 years that it was used yeah. um, here in WA. And I suppose the other thing is when you look at where we, we've got homes of football, um, there's obviously HBF. Um, it would be lovely if you could have something there that fans could see before the game. Uh, and then with the home of football actually being built now in Queen's Park, that that really should be where we, we have some space for the museum. Well, yeah, the, the um, HBF Park was actually looked at back in the day when Glory started. That yeah. That was, you know, the first choice for a long time. And a lot of representations to both sides of the government about creating something there. And, you know, we just never got the support from the government, either side of the government, to make that happen. So that is just looking looked at. The WA um, headquarters, well, yeah, look, that's not... The, the stage three is obviously finished for quite a few years. Once it is, that's certainly an option we should look at. Yeah. Uh, clearly, we'd have to get football west to agree. I, I think they might want their own museum space as well. So it'll be interesting. That's actually an option for us. Um, yeah. One, but, but that's quite a few years off. I think originally people would be ready this year. But, but no. Not. They'll have something. They'll have something out there, but it's not not set up for a museum. So we'll have a look at that one. Still two other ones. But as I said, I think um, there was such positive feedback on the night that um, you know we're really happy to explore the next few years and see what we can do and, and hold a number of events. Like, yeah. Thing. I mean, one of the rooms we've got will be rotating so that you know, when the World Cup happens, we might have a, a World Cup theme, which will be International mm. Women's Day. We could make the display a women's kind of feature, women's football feature. Yeah. So there's lots of opportunities. And, um, yeah, we just, we just have to explore that. Didn't I, I just see that... If we've got a home of football, that's where the history of football belongs um, and who shouldn't be involved in it more than, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the governing body in this state. So there's lots of, of um, symmetry that works. Um, it's just about how you make it happen. It's obviously going to take a, a few years, but, you know, Football West are, are interwoven with the history of this game. So, um, you know, and that that would be a, a facility that would be owned by Football West, open majority of the days of the week um i just see it just works but uh, getting back to the 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 um wa italian club obviously very good to have an agreement with them for three years uh, you said there's a few things to to do before we open it to the public um do we see any public access times being formulated or is this you know, uh, do you control that well, it's one of those things that is pretty much finalised, but I, I'm not going to be the one who's like, yeah, we're all ready now. I think they're just negotiating with the Italian club to make sure. Uh, it, it is open Wednesday to Saturday, so there's certainly yeah. plenty of opportunities for public. And, and inductees are the other factor. We're, we're setting up our own membership status as well. That's something that the Football Hall of Fame needs to do. And once that's in place, which will be imminently, um, all our inductees will be automatically be members. Good. Um, be able to go and visit that all the time. So there's no issue there. This is more about... Um, you know, access outside that. So just a few things to, to iron out, as well as the fact when you're having members of the public move through without us being there to monitor, we just need to make sure, obviously, that it is all secure. We had a few things out on the night um, that were on display dummies and so on, so we're just yeah. making sure we're tidying up a few of those things. But all in all, uh, it will certainly happen, and um, I, I think people... As I said, it's not just about showing what's there because um, there's still plenty of spaces for for things to go. I think it's about showing a lot of our ex-players and administrators and the families that if you've got something of value that, that would look good in a museum, not everything works in a museum, but if it's something that'll work well in a museum, we'd love to have it for six months, for a year, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's permanent loan, because it, it's got a really good place to display and people can come and enjoy it. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's 
what we're hoping will happen, and it's already happened a bit. We had a number of people, you know, talk to us on the night saying, look, I've got a whole lot of stuff. I'm sure there'll be something there we can use. Um, we want to make it interactive as well. So, you know, rather than, I guess, in the old days, museums had everything written down, you know, having an online interaction where you, you scan the QR code and it brings up some of the history of those items, all of that is, is part of our you know, aspirational kind of thing to have. So... Plenty of work still to go, but that, that's where we're moving as well with the museum. Oh, absolutely. I think in this day and age, a virtual museum is um, probably even more achievable than than a static museum. But, you know, look, yeah. I think the, the, the thing is that one of the first codes to have a Hall of Fame, one of the first codes to, to bring in a museum. So there's lots of good things we're doing. I suppose it's about getting that word out to people about who should be or who nominates and, and who should be um, accepted in there or at least nominated by clubs and other people. And it's not just players, it's administrators, um, referees, um, journalists. So, you know, there's... There's a whole lot of people that, that contribute to this game over a long, long time with little or no recognition. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, but I think just more clarity around who can be nominated in what categories. And, um, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed about having um, a lot of people in the, the Hall of Recognition, for example. Yeah, it has been. I think it was 2016 was the last year I remember getting it. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't seen what it was for. I guess, you know, these days VAR means it's pretty tough to go with anything. Back then, it's probably close to to, to grievous body harm, I think, to get set off. I guess it's a fair bit to get set off, so I'd hate to know what it was. Um, We've got uh, the shirt by Sandra Brindle, who scored the first ever goal for Australia. Yes. International. So she's donated her shirt and her cap from that game. Um, That's amazing for us to have that there in this place. No, I know, an absolute pioneer. That's right. So we've got that up in, up, up in the museum uh, to show as well. Um, what else we got? We've got there's a side new cup, obviously, it's fantastic. And the Medeca Cup, uh, both the winning Medeca Cups, which WA was the first team to win in Asia back in the mid-70s. And you look how much, how many years have the Australian national team to exceed in that kind of foreign environment, not just the weather, but the Until you, it wasn't until you blurted it out. 
(laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, know, while they they weren't around very long, both of them actually have a really significant part of history because without them, you could arguably say that that Glory wouldn't have been given a licence by the the NSL back then. Oh, without a doubt. They could run a team. You go back and, and, and see what Roger and Nick did back then. It was, you know, completely inspirational. And I think, you know, without them, there would be no glory there. You know, we, we'd still be complaining about the NSL. So I think we're, you know, absolute visionaries and, and you know, made made it happen. Uh, and a yeah, very important step in proving that we, we could sustain the team and, and have a competitive team. So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, part of the history that needs to be there. Is there anything coming up for the the, the WA Football Hall of Fame? Any? Um... We're, certainly, we're certainly aiming to have uh, the club president come along and have a look because I think yep. there's a lot of WA clubs, um, not just in the top state league, but through the amateurs and so as well, who, who have a plenty of memorabilia uh, yeah. in their own little collection. Now, some of them have it on display, which is great, but others would just have it in storage. So we really want to get the club presidents as many as possible can come to an RPNC to have a look and to say to them, you know, this is, all your clubs are part of this history as well. Is there anything you think we could use? Because, you know, we might well do a theme, a, a club theme on one day as well. As I said, with, with two rooms, one one's fairly permanent with the main the main item, but there's another room where we can rotate around. And if, you know, we choose to do a, a theme, uh, having something from the clubs would be fantastic. But I think if you what you're saying there is if the people you bring in, if you bring in the club presidents, bring in people that are involved in the junior sport years ago, um, that's where your volunteers will come from. I think the you know volunteering online is is very difficult. It's hard enough to get people volunteering for clubs that are active, um, but if you feel that you're there and you're part of it, and it becomes physical. There's there's definitely uh, more options to get people involved. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the more people see it and understand it. As I said, you know, the Hall of Fame existed for a long time, but the, the concept in terms of memorability was always a bit tough. And, you know, I, I know that Brett and Penny have still got so, so much stuff to go through yeah. in our story. We've had a quick look through the stuff, that's here, but there's a lot a lot of older artifacts. And there, there's so much more. Uh, you know, you can understand why people maybe were reluctant to pass things over when there was yeah. nowhere really to know where they were going. So I think that's the most exciting part about having this. Oh, look, accessibility is, is the key. The, the sooner we can get people going through it, um, the sooner it becomes live and then, you know, something tangible to, to, to look at. Uh, I really appreciate the job that people like yourself, Brett Penny, do in, in that area and also the, the people that uh, instigate all these people like John O'Connell who, you know, way back before anyone even thought of this sort of stuff, made it happen. Um, you know, I think we, we also need to realise the history of the WA Football Hall of Fame is also part of the history. Um, and, again, we've had plenty of other people copy what was our code's invention. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was, you know, on the night, we, we have a little, had a little um, booklet to kind of commemorate the night, but it wasn't just about the museum. It was about that history of the committee and so on. We had a, a good little um, double, double page spread around some of the older committees. As you say, John O'Connell was the original um, president. We had Lou Prospero there, who was president yep. for a long time, and a number of the original committee were there as well. Mel Wofford was there pretty quickly yes. after the start. He came on the night. So we did call out to all of those ex-committee people there yeah. who did such a fantastic job over the years to, to make to make it, I guess, 
substantive and um, long-term. You know, it exists. It's not going to go anywhere. The Football Hall of Fame is a fantastic uh, memory for WA football. And, and most, I'm sure, all the states are pretty envious. We had someone over there from Football Australia. Yeah, look, it's, it's been... Um, James Johnson, yeah been a long time in, in the making and I think it's great that we've actually got somewhere physical that we can actually go out there and have a look to them looking forward to seeing the opening hours and when we can actually get in there and, and have a look at it the stuff that was on the photographs and online looks looks magnificent good deal. looks well done, very all. professional yeah thanks thanks John. thanks Jim yeah it's um, yeah, really exciting certainly it'll, it'll be um, the, the hours will be open enough and you know look the, the, the turntops are incredibly welcome of everyone so you know we'd love to be able to to make, make a few hours of it and have something to eat and tell the family, I think that would be great to support them as well. Thanks. Can no. I just, just ask one question? For those people that are maybe even unaware that this is happening, but would there be a cost to go and visit or is it going to be a free uh, museum type thing? No, there'll be, on my understanding, there'll be no cost, no. Um, we uh, said we, we might be putting a donation box yeah. there, I think was one of the ideas, because there's, there's a few expenses around upkeep and purchasing items for that museum and we're a not-for-profit volunteer group so no we don't expect there'll be any cost for for members of the public at all and if someone is listening and says hang on i've got something in my uh, in my garage is there any who who's the best person to contact or you know Uh, well the web the website the the website or our facebook has direct links to be able to just email so i've got something and we'll we'll have someone get in contact with you straight away um likely likely brett i think he's responsible for the heritage but um any, anything on the website, and we'll pick that up straight away. Good stuff. And make sure something comes out to find you. Yeah, certainly on the pictures, it looks very, very good, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going to visit one day. <laughs> yes, yeah, we'll make yeah. sure we get you down there. <laughs> All right, Vince. Look, thank you very much for your time this morning and for what you and the rest of the committee are doing. Great to see something tangible um, out there that we can actually go and see um, and just keep up the good work, mate. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Vince Matassa with the WA Football Hall of Fame and obviously does a terrific job out there. Um, One thing we haven't mentioned is the WNPL Night Series. Um, Their games are tomorrow. So at Littis Stadium, we've got Curtin University versus Perth Red Star. And then the late game is NTC versus Balcatta. And over at Ellenbrook, Frio will be playing Subi and Mum will be playing Perth. So lots of football around the place in the evening. And the start of the Australia Cup tomorrow. Yes. Um, teams are uh, playing, I think it's round two for some reason it's described as, but there's, there's I think it's a dozen games uh, in the Perth area tomorrow and, or even in the WA state. Really. Yeah, there's lots of lots of uh, games going on. I think we, Ashfield have got Margaret River in a week or two in the third round. And then I think the, the round after that is the um, state league Elimination round. <laughs> it's a round of death for most of the, yeah. for half of those clubs. All right, Jim, thank you very much for being on this morning. Really enjoyed your company. Um, and just a shame you were born on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue this off air. Oh, absolutely. No, no. Look, we'll, we'll sort this out in the cobbles uh, the proper way. <laughs> on the cobbles, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's been good. It's. Uh, Penny, I think Penny or Hugh is in next week. Not sure. Look, really enjoyed your company. Uh, lots of football out there for the rest of the world to watch. Um, MPO, oh, the uh, EPL will be on tonight, so I get into that as well. Uh, Lenny's so in what, the... St- what's this EPL you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it, I can't help it. It's, it's my roots. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's great. There's football everywhere across the planet. Just watch it. Um, Lenny's now busy getting ready for his show, The Jazz Show, which follows me now. Thank you for listening. Uh, My name's Sean Kelly, and I will be back with you soon.
Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.